helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Webster's Dictionary Online defines sovereign as possessed of supreme power. Now, consider how often you heard someone described as a sovereign citizen or a sovereign state. Can a citizen be possessed of supreme power? Can the United States? See, part of the problem is the English language. The word sovereign can mean slightly different things in different contexts. The bigger problem is the belief that in the United States, any government can be truly sovereign. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, teach the rising generation to be free. I am so glad you could join me today. You know, this, this thought process about sovereignty, being, being sovereign, uh, didn't come out of nowhere. There are news items that bring into question the idea of, of sovereignty and uh, I thought it was worth taking some time to discuss it. But as always, I'd like to set a context, a stage, an understanding. See, going back to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, uh, sovereign as an adjective, because right, not not you know describing something means uh, possessed of a, a supreme power, as in a sovereign ruler. It can also mean enjoying autonomy, as in sovereign states. So we, we have to be careful when we're using this word sovereign, or when we hear this word used, how is it being used? Does it truly mean a supreme power, or does it mean enjoying autonomy? Uh, the quality of being self-governed or self-directed. So I bring that up because it's going to matter as we discuss some of these things, these stories that I'm that we're going to be talking about. Because when you talk about this this supreme power um, and a supreme ruler, supremacy is at the heart of all this, the discussions of sovereignty. It assumes a, sovereignty assumes a supreme something, a power, somehow, and and and. How, how far? What is the, the sphere, the realm of that um, the realm of that sovereignty? Right? So again, this is going to become important. It's why I wanted to set the stage as you go forward. So let's start with the case uh, Department of Agriculture versus Kurtz, or its full title, Department of Agriculture, Rural Development, Rural Housing Service versus Kurtz. And it deals with the question, well, it, it revolves around the 1970 Fair Credit Reporting Act. And uh, the question at hand was, are federal agencies, do they have a sovereign immunity? See, in this case, uh, Reginald Kurtz secured a loan from a division of the United States Department of Agriculture and later sued the agency for money damages under the Fair, Fair Credit Reporting Act, FICRA. Kurtz alleged that the USDA falsely told TransUnion, a credit reporting agency, that his account was passed due, thus damaging his credit score and his ability to secure loans at affordable rates. Now, the USDA moved to dismiss this case, invoking what they refer to as sovereign immunity. 
So let's go back to the dictionary, this time the free legal dictionary. And we look up sovereign immunity, and it's the legal protection that prevents a sovereign state or person from being sued without consent. So the sovereign immunity is a judicial doctrine that prevents government or its political subdivisions, departments, and agencies from being sued without its consent. And this goes all the way back to uh, English law and the principle that the monarch can do no wrong. Hence, right, sovereign immunity. So, all right, let's start out with the question of sovereignty. Does the Department of Agriculture, um, as part of the, Un the United States government, have sovereign immunity? Is it sovereign? Well, in some ways, yes. In that the United States government has the authority to pass laws that are supreme, but only if those laws are made pursuant to the Constitution of the United States. Right? Go back to the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2. This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. So the United States government is not sovereign in its truest sense. We refer to it as a, a sovereign nation in the, the, the idea that it has, um, uh, it, it has control over the territory. It has um, uh, power, over the, the supreme power over the territory. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Department of Agriculture. We're talking about the government of the United States, and they do not have supreme power, at least not legally. I, I know a lot of people tend to uh, uh, think they do, but that's not what the, the, the law says. That's not what the Constitution says. Now, in a, I believe, a 9-0 decision, um, the Supreme Court said that a consumer may sue a federal agency for defying FICRA's terms, or the Fair Credit Reporting Act terms. Um, they go on to say, as a sovereign, the United States is generally immune from suits seeking money damages unless Congress chooses to waive that immunity. Here's problem number one. All right, so they, they, first of all, they said, yes, people can sue federal agencies for defying a specific federal law. But they go on to say the United States is immune from suits. Where does that come from? I'll tell you where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come from the law. It comes from a Supreme Court opinion. Actually, it comes from a series of Supreme Court opinions. You gotta remember, a Supreme Court opinion is not law. It's an opinion. And when we see courts not referring to the law, but referring to what someone else said, you play a judicial game of telephone, right? Well, so-and-so said, and so-and-so said, and so-and-so said, and eventually you get to the answer that you want. So the basic assumption that the United States is generally immune from suits violates the Constitution of the United States. Now, it violates, the idea violates the First Amendment, which is Congress can make no law um, abridging the right of the people to petition the government for a readers of grievance. If you're saying, we cannot be sued, well, you're denying the people the right to petition. But you see, Congress didn't make this law. The courts came up with this idea, which is a violation of the Tenth Amendment. 
It says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Where was this sovereign immunity granted to the United States by the Constitution? Absolutely nowhere. And in fact, the very idea of sovereign immunity violates the Fifth Amendment because it deprives people of the property they have in their right to petition without due process of law. It's saying that um, even though you, individually, your right to petition, you can't exercise it because we're blanketly saying we are immune. That sets up an aristocracy, not a republic. So this very idea uh, that the courts have come up with, again, this is not in the Constitution, it's not in the laws of the United States, this is a, a, a uh, whole cloth creation of the courts. I've been having this comment debate with somebody who keeps claiming that um, basically the, the, the federal courts, the, the Supreme Court rules that effectively it's the supreme law of the land. Completely ignoring all the evidence I'm proving that says no, courts don't, not only is the, the Supreme Court not the supreme law of the land, it's not even law. See, it's, again, go back to Article 6, Clause 2. This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. Do you see the opinion of a court there anywhere? No. So a court opinion, they're not rulings, they're opinions. Read what they put out in the opinion of the court. And in fact, reading the dialogue, just referring to the case, uh, Department of Agriculture, Rural Development, Rural Housing Service Petitioner versus Reginald Kurtz, on writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court. Not the ruling of the court, not the law of the court, in the opinion of the court. Because th th there's a very simple reason for that. It's called, again, the Constitution of the United States. Article 1, Section 1 uh, says, all legislative, all lawmaking powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and, a, and House of Representatives. You see why I say reading and studying the Constitution will set, is so important to recognizing your rights and being able to live free? See, if I listen to the courts, the courts rule. If I listen to the lawyers and the pundits, I hear about court rulings. They don't rule. I'm told that what the court says is gospel. It's the law, except it's not. That's not what the Constitution says. Now, a lot of people believe it, but that doesn't make it true. It's the emperor who has no clothes. The court doesn't have the power to make law. The court doesn't have the power to rule. The court has one and only one power, the judicial power, which is defined as the 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 uh, holding of trials and the decision deciding of controversies, that's it. In fact, uh, was Alexander Hamilton in Federal Seventy Eight said the courts have neither force nor will, but only judgment. So the very idea that the Supreme Court is supreme over the the nation, no, it's supreme over the courts. It's not sovereign over the nation. The idea that um, the United States government is immune from prosecution unless it says so is a legal fallacy. It's something made up by the courts. And it's going to take time and effort 
to help educate the people so that they can help educate their attorneys and the judges to say, wait a second, that is not true. First of all, the United States is not a sovereign. It's a creation. The United States was created by the Constitution, which is supreme. It is sovereign over the United States. Again, anything else sets up an aristocracy, not a republic. It's also why um, where the courts, the Trump has recently asked the Supreme Court to um, basically to block the idea, the rejection of, of sovereign immunity for him as president. His attorneys argue, without immunity from criminal prosecution, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist. That may be true, but it will return it to the, the presidency of the Constitution of the United States. The president is not supreme. Even if you not forgetting the Constitution, right? The 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 fact that he's not the supreme law of the land, that nothing the president says is the supreme law of the land. Remember Article Six, Clause Two, the Constitution, the laws that are made, which by the way are made by the Congress if they're made pursuant to the Constitution. The treaties made or what shall be made under the authority of the United States, well, the president has a role, but not the sole role in making treaties, and those treaties are only supreme if they're made under the authority of the United States. The president is not a king. He is not supreme. He is not sovereign, and he does not have immunity. The very idea that sitting in office, you can commit crimes without being prosecuted for them is anathema to a free country. It's anathema to the rule of law. It's anathema to the very idea of a government of the people, by the people, for the people. It's anathema to the Constitution. But you see, we've turned the presidency into a kingship. We treat him like king. His word is considered law. His, his policies are, are the policy of the nation. Who cares if they violate the Constitution or not? He issued an executive order saying so. That's the problem with misunderstanding sovereignty. The president's not sovereign. In fact, I point out that uh, when I talk about uh, uh, county sheriffs, as the chief law enforcement officer of the county has full of legal authority to arrest a sitting president of the United States for a crime committed within his jurisdiction or her jurisdiction. Now, granted, they'd have a problem with the Secret Service because the Secret Service have been trained in the same lies as the rest of the judicial system. But once you understand, the president is not sovereign. He has no sovereign immunity. Yes, if you remove this lie of sovereign immunity, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist and will return to the servant of the states that the presidency was designed to be. Not the servant of the people, the servant of the states. And furthermore, this myth of the United States government being sovereign spreads far and wide through the, through the government through this nation, and it's part of what's crippling this nation and destroying the rights of so many of her citizens. But before I get into that, I have to take a break. Now, if you're interested, please head to the website constitutionstudy.com 
sign up for one of the mailing lists. You can have my articles and videos sent to you every day. I've got my daily news digest where uh, news articles that I find, I think you might find interesting, get posted to the website. You can get a daily email with links to all of them. Um, you can also check out the Patriots program where we teach a lot of this stuff and we help people prepare to defend their rights. We communicate so we know what's going on and then prepare to defend rights. We're still getting started with that. So you can check all of that out. Again, the website is constitutionstudy.com. Another group I work with, it's called Healthy Cell. Now, one of the things you have to be careful with is your immune system. Now, I do a lot to transport my immune system because, well, that's what helps keep me healthy. Healthy Cell has this neat product called the Immune Super Boost. It contains over a dozen immune supplements in a single travel-ready gel pack. That's right. I take it. I throw it in my bag. I use it mostly when I travel because that's when I'm most exposed. My immune system is under attack. So I throw it in my bag when I travel. It's a gel pack, so I can just open it up and, and drink it. Or you can put it in, in a, a drink and just mix it in, and it gives your, your immune system that extra boost it needs. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order from Healthy Cell. Go to americaoutloud.shop for details. It'll tell you where to go and the code out loud that you use at checkout to get your discount. So check it out. Go to americaoutloud.shop. Find the Healthy Cell products that you're interested in. Look them up. Put your cart together. Use that code out loud at checkout. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Loud. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them, from improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite, and providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, 
We power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study, and today we're talking about sovereignty, the idea of can any government in the United States be truly sovereign? Is that what our founding fathers set up? And what are the impacts of, of this mindset, this belief that, yeah, actually, uh, we do have sovereign governments and, and, and being specifically understanding the, the, the different types of sovereignty. Uh, you have a sovereignty, which means independence. You have a sovereignty, which means supreme power. And very often, while, while we do have an understanding of independence, sadly, we, we too often let it roll over into this idea of supreme power. In the first segment, we talked in detail about this, especially how it regarded um, a recent Supreme Court case about sovereign immunity uh, or about the Trump's case or, or claim of presidential sovereign immunity or presidential immunity. Well, I want to extend that a little bit more. See, the idea of sovereign immunity from, from, uh, from being sued comes from the idea that the sovereign is always right. They can be no, make, be no wrong. And I find this mindset very often used for agencies in the United States government. We had to do what the CDC said because the CDC could not possibly be wrong. Or we had to do what, uh, uh, you know, when, when Biden uh, issued a, an exec, or threatened to issue an executive order stating that, um, uh, uh, companies with more than 100 employees had to have vaccine mandates. None of that was true. These were assumptions that these entities had the authority to make such decisions, to issue such edicts. Now, one of the areas where uh, this happens is, this again, the idea that the government is the best place to do things because they don't have anybody else's interest in mind. Therefore, they're good at things, even though yeah, pretty much they're bad at everything they do. And the few things they are pretty okay at, usually they're not very efficient the way they do it. Now, one of the areas that people love to, to complain about is the internal revenue service, or the infernal revenue service, as some people like to call it. And one of the things about the, the IRS systems is they contain a lot of private data, personal data, data you would not want exposed to others. Now, you would think an agency that has access to such confidential data, they'd have tools in place, resources in place to protect that data. I mean, I, again, I worked in IT for 30 years. I designed and installed systems that were designed to protect that type of data to make sure it was not exposed or, or accessible from the outside world. Well, the Treasury Department Inspector General for Tax Administration there's a mouthful for you, uh, issued a report this month and said the fact remains that for some sensitive systems, the IRS does not have adequate controls to detect or prevent the unauthorized removal of data by users. Now, again, I've worked on systems that are designed to protect such sensitive data, not IRS systems, but uh, in many cases, state agencies that were protecting similarly sensitive information. And we had processes and protocols to keep track of who accessed what and where and make sure it wasn't 
accessed incorrectly. IRS just doesn't seem to be able to do this. See, this is not a new problem. The Inspector General has been warning about this since the George W. Bush administration back in 2007. Three presidents later, voila, we are still dealing with the same nonsense. In fact, an ex-IRS contractor, Charles Edward Littlejohn, he was sentenced to five years in prison for leaking tax information to news organizations about former President Trump and other wealthy Americans. So, do you really trust the IRS to keep your sensitive information sensitive? Personally, I don't. Uh, one of the things that was noted in the report is that there were 19 contractors who uh, failed, reached their most recent background check as of July of 23, yet these Contractors still retained access to sensitive systems because the IRS hadn't bothered to suspend or disable their accounts. Think about it. They failed a background check, but they still have access because the IRS couldn't have a process to revoke that. The IG also found that there were 279 contractors and employees who no longer worked with the agency yet still had access to at least one sensitive computer system. One of the problems we dealt with in those systems is you had to have a process. When a person was, was, was terminated or moved to another job or no longer needed access, they had to be have their access to the sensitive systems removed. It was a standard practice as part of the, the offboarding process. But the IRS apparently hasn't been able to figure out how to do that. And in fact, when the IG requested information about all of the IRS's sensitive systems, they couldn't even get a reliable inventory of those sensitive systems. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not unique to the IRS. Um, I've seen this in many, in, in multiple large corporations where because of the size and the scale, stuff gets lost. It gets forgotten about. But we're not talking about a private company with, you know, product secrets. We're talking about the Internal Revenue Service that has information. Think of what, think of what, what goes into your tax form. Sure, it's got all your personal identifiable information, your name, your address, your social security number, your phone number, all that stuff. Yeah. It also keeps track of how much money you've made, how much money you've spent in, in, uh, in other taxes and mortgage interests that you've donated, all your different sources of income. Do you really want that information exposed? You say, Paul, I'm not one of the uber wealthy, so they're not going to target me. You don't have to be uber wealthy to be targeted. You just need to be unlucky enough to be tar to be swept up and then used as a target they sweep up your data and then decide we'll go after you what would you pay to um to not have this data exposed or even worse what would you pay for us not to go in and change the data make it look like you cheated on your taxes that you didn't report income and then have the IRS come back and uh, and, and audit you for the last 10 years about income you never really made, but 
was accessed illegally because the IRS doesn't have sufficient protections built in. Now, listen, I'm not saying protecting or securing a large data system, data systems like the IRS must have is an easy thing or is a simple thing. But I think it's a necessary thing. I certainly think it would be a priority to protect the data of the people that the IRS is supposedly serving by the collection of their taxes. How about this one? You remember, I'm going to take you back to the supremacy clause in a minute, but uh, you remember the infamous uh, um, FISA Act, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act? You know, Section 702 that was designed supposedly to uh, uh, gather data on, on foreign uh, entities. You know, the one that was supposed to be targeted at, at, at those the foreign spies, but the one that's been used by the FBI and others repeatedly to sweep up data about you, about Americans in this country. And of course, people have been complaining about this pretty much since uh, the Patriot Act was signed. But um, remember how it was, it was up before Congress? Well, guess what? There's a bill before Congress to reauthorize what, what really should be called the uh, uh, We'll Spy on Anybody We Want Act. Warrantless spying on American citizens is easily handled by this Section 702. If you make a single international phone call, well, you can be targeted. If you know somebody who makes international, who has international communications, you can be targeted. See, if they find somebody, let's say you have you 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 uh, have a a friend, or maybe your 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 brother-in-law is from Pakistan. And he calls home back to see what's going on, and somehow the 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 federal government decides, you know what? We think he's a, he's talking to uh, terrorists, so we're going to track all of his communication. Oh, by the way, his communication includes emails to you. Oh, so now we're going to track you as well and everybody that you communicate with. This is this is not the innocent. Oh, we're just looking for foreign terrorists. We've been told, and we've known about it for decades now. And guess what? The, the House is talking about... Now, they haven't passed it through the House yet. But I also haven't seen any modifications to it to protect the American people from this illegal surveillance. Anybody remember Crossfire Hurricane? The investigation into uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump about alleged links to Russia? where the FBI had used FISA to spy on Americans? That's the President of the United States. He at least has a platform. What about you? How much of, of our communication is being illegally swept up in these... Well, Paul, if you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. That's not the way it's supposed to work in this country, ladies and gentlemen. See, we may not have anything to hide, but we have everything to protect. The Constitution, the Fourth Amendment doesn't say that you have a right to be secure in your person's houses, papers, and effects as long as you have nothing to hide. It doesn't say that. It's the supreme law of the land. And Congress is not sovereign to overturn it. Let me say that again. Congress is not sovereign 
to overturn the Fourth Amendment. But the problem is most of us don't realize that. Do you realize that when Congress passes a law that's unconstitutional, that law is void? It's empty, it's meaningless, it's as if it never happened? It doesn't matter whether or not the Supreme Court offers an opinion on it or not. It isn't. It's, it, 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 it's, it's an unconstitutional act. It's void. Again, Alexander Hamilton from, from uh, Federal Paper 78, Marbury versus Madison, Ex parte Siebold, Norton v. Shelby County. These are all, those three last year cases from the Supreme Court that said these acts, if they're void, if they're unconstitutional, they're void. We've been waiting. The, the FISA Act was originally authorized. I think it was back, uh, I think 702 was added in, in, in uh, 1978. It was expanded in 2008. Yet we're still dealing with these criminal activities. And the House is ready to reauthorize it. Now, let me ask you. If you have somebody that, say, routinely drives drunk, They've had multiple accidents. They've killed people. Do you turn around and say, "Well, okay, here's a driver's license. Promise, honest, you know, honest. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be good this time. You're not going to break the law. Just, you know, promise us you won't. And here's your driver's license back." Why do we do any different for the federal government? They've broken the law, the supreme law. They've, they've, they've violated the rights of the American citizens. And now it looks like the House may be set to go ahead and say, here, here's your license to spy on the American people. We'll just give it back to you. Promise you'll you'll be good this time. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't trust them. So we have an untrustworthy agency, uh, the IRS, not surprising, we have other untrustworthy agencies, the CIA, the FBI, the ATF, the DOJ. They're untrustworthy, but yet they claim sovereignty. They actually claim sovereign immunity. You can't hold us accountable for our, you can't sue us for our criminal actions because we are part of the kingdom. We are the king. We are the aristocracy. I believe that's pretty much what we were trying to get away from when we declared independence some almost 250 years ago. Almost. So understanding sovereignty, understanding power, and it's the, the limited spheres that that power exists, the limitations on those powers, as well as the independence of the American people, is key to figure out how we can move forward. If you want to understand how we, where we go from here, you start by understanding the legal structure, not the myth that has been put forth, the actual structure of the law, the recognition that it's not the courts that are supreme, it's not the president who's supreme, it's not even Congress who's supreme. The Constitution created and endowed by the people of the United States. They're supreme. We created the Constitution as the supreme law. And since the states are the parties to that compact, the states have a say in what happens 
and we'll talk about that. But first, I have to take another break. Now, there's some, been some really interesting articles and podcasts coming out of AmericaOutloud.news lately. I recommend you join me. I go there every day to get ideas, to see news and information from another point of view. And I recommend you do the same. But as I keep telling you, knowledge is not power unless and until it is put to use, until it's acted upon. So if you want to do something, if you want to be more than just a sounding board, well, then take those stories. Find the articles, find the podcasts, the videos, the things that explain something better than you have before, that, that tell you of your rights and your liberties, that tell you of the blessings that we have with our liberty, and share them. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how far, it's the act of sharing that makes the difference. It is the act of sharing that is the actual tool that will help secure the blessings of liberty. Now, George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to AmericaOutLoud.shop. That's AmericaOutLoud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CoFixRx because it works. Welcome back, everyday Americans, to rejoin the Constitution study. And today, as I said, we were talking about sovereignty. This idea that um, the federal government is sovereign overall, as if it was a king doesn't work that way. At least it's not supposed to. That's not what was designed. The federal government was given a list of limited and enumerated powers by the Constitution. And the 10th Amendment said, this is it. These are all of your powers. No more. Any other powers belong either to the people or to the states. Now, that's important because the powers not delegated to the United States nor prohibited by to the states 
are reserved to the states. Now, one of the powers that's actually specifically allowed to the state, it, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's done a little bit backwards, but there's a power delegated to the state, and that is to treat gold and silver coin as money. Specifically in Article 1, Section 10, we read that uh, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. So the way they've worded it. So it's a question of what is money. Now, why is this important? Because it gives the states power over the federal government. See, the federal government, Congress has the power to um, coin money, to make money. They also have the power to set the value of that money. But the states don't have to use the Fed's money. They use gold and silver coins as a payment of debt. Now, there's been more and more states talking along this way. There have been bills that have been filed. There have been people talking about it. And the different states are in different states of development of this idea of using gold and silver coin as money. Now, why is this important? Well, let's face it. The federal government has been debasing the dollar for decades now. They've been doing everything they can to make the dollar worth less. I was talking to somebody this weekend. We were talking about the price of homes and, and actually buying land and, and how expensive it's gotten. And, and we, I pointed out that you know most of the increase in the value of land is not that the land is more valuable. It's that the dollars to purchase the land are less valuable. See, gold and silver are stable. The American dollar is anything but. Now, we have to understand a, a couple of terms as we get into this, one of which is our, uh, uh, legal tender, right? What you can use to pay your debts. And you have what's called specie legal tender. Now, from a legal standpoint, that means it is um, coins. Uh, it's, in other words, it, rather, it's, it's, it's metallic money. It is not paper money. And part of the distinction is that specie money has its value in the coin itself. Paper money's only value is the, the promise of the issuer. Specie legal tender has value in and of itself. So you can't play games with its value the way you can with uh, a fiat or paper money. Uh, fiat money is any money where its value is done at the the behest of whoever issues it. Now, Kansas is the latest state I see that's got a bill that wants to treat gold and silver as money. Now, it would be, again, specie money, meaning it would actually be talking about using coins. It's a step. See, one of the things I'm, I'm waiting to see is, uh, I know Texas has worked on it, I think Wyoming has as well, is actually setting up depositories, places where you can, like a bank, deposit your specie tender and then assume, withdraw it, trade it, use it. What I want to see is the point where that legal tender, that specie legal tender, becomes the basis of state-based uh, commerce. Say that you have a, uh, a, an account at a, at a depository. Would it be nice if you could get, say, a, a debit card? And when you go to buy something and use a debit card, the appropriate amount of your gold is sold at whatever the market rate is. 
to fulfill that transaction. We're nowhere near there yet, ladies and gentlemen. Nowhere near. But it is an interesting concept, and it would help take away a lot of the control the federal government has over the states by the devaluing of their money. See, there's a reason why the federal government likes a certain amount of inflation. Too much inflation, and people aren't happy, and things bog down, and, well, elected officials tend to lose their job. But they want some inflation. In fact, I think the target is 2% inflation. And it works something like this. Imagine you go to the bank and you borrow $100. Keep the numbers easy. Now, you have to pay the $100 back with interest. But if you take $100 that buys, say, oh, I don't know, um, 100 gallons of gas. Right? If $100 buys 100 gallons of gas, I know it's been a long time since gas has been a dollar a gallon, but if you hold on to that for 10 years and say you now have to pay back $110, but your $100 of your 100 gallons of gas now doesn't cost $100, but $150. You see that difference? It's called an arbitrage. But the idea is if you borrow money at one value and you pay it back with money of a lesser value, you have a benefit. If I borrow that, let's let, let's say I borrow ten thousand dollars, and I buy five acres of land at two thousand dollars an acre. Right? Now, actually, land's not now around me; it's about five thousand dollars an acre. So I borrow ten thousand dollars, and I buy two acres of land, and I hold on to that land for a while, and I turn around in a few years and I sell that land for. $15,000. I've made a $5,000 difference on that. So I can pay off my $10,000 loan, and I have $5,000 left over to pay the interest on the loan. Whatever's left is mine. That's kind of the way the federal government works. They like a certain amount of inflation because there's no way they ever plan on paying back $34 trillion in debt they're playing a shell game. Let me borrow a trillion today. I'll do whatever I'm going to do with it. Tomorrow, I'll borrow another trillion to pay off that trillion, and then I can, but I'm, pay, I'm doing it with dollars that are worth less because I've devalued the dollar. It's ugly, and it does get a little complicated. So if you live in Kansas, it's HB 2729, and take a look and see, do you want to start moving down the road towards having another option. You still have the option of the U.S. dollar. But as the U.S. dollar becomes less and less valuable, as the U.S. dollar becomes more manipulated, as I'll show in a, in a few minutes, um, would you like to have another option? See, that's why I like these moves, because it's about giving people options. You want to use the U.S. dollar? Use the U.S. dollar. You want to use gold and silver? Be my guest. The other nice thing is when a state declares the money, it using it now no longer in, in, in incurs sales tax. See, if gold and silver is is not money, let's say you go to a dealer, you buy a thousand dollars worth of gold, he hands you actual physical gold, but you got to pay sales tax on it. So it's a thousand dollars plus a sales tax. Most of these states, when they talk about making gold and silver money, 
one big part of it is it's not a transaction with gold and silver is not taxed. Meaning when you buy a thousand dollars worth of gold, you pay a thousand dollars and you get a thousand dollars worth of gold with no taxes on it. So there's another bit to but again, it's about recognizing the the sovereignty sphere that a state has and allowing them to exercise it. Now I talked about um manipulating money. There's been more talk about a, a potential central bank digital currency. The um, World Economic Forum is pushing these things like crazy, uh, and, and there are others in the government that are pushing them. And they say, well, look, it won't it be nice. It'll be easy. You'll have one debit card. We'll keep track of everything. It'll help us track down criminals because we can spy on everything that everybody does because everything has to be paid with, with our currency. Uh, and even if you use a credit card, you're going to settle a credit card with our currency. We're going to know absolutely everything that's going on. If that doesn't scare you, ladies and gentlemen, having the federal government know everything that's going on in your life, it should. Imagine today you go to the, to the gas station. I use this because it's an example we all are familiar with. Right? You go to the gas station, you put the card in the machine, and it says authorizing. The machine is contacting your credit card company saying, will you authorize them to make this transaction? Do they have enough credit? Do they have enough money in the bank? to cover what we think a standard transaction is going to be. And the bank says yes, or the credit card company says yes, and then they turn on the pump and you start pumping gasoline. What happens when the entity authorizing your transaction is not a bank? It's not a credit card company. It's the federal government. It's the Federal Reserve. Couldn't they just turn around and say, we don't like this transaction. We're going to we're not going to authorize it. See, that's the part of satellite digital currencies that people are should be afraid of. Well, Georgia has, again, joined a list of states that wants to declare CBDCs that are not money within the state of Georgia. It's House Bill 1053. And uh, it would basically say, um, you want to do a transaction in CBDCs, be my guest. But they're not money. You, the, the state won't take them for bills, and you cannot be forced to to complete a transaction with that currency. The state can't say you have to use bills. You know that's um, again. It's another state saying we're starting to push back a little bit. And again, I'm not seeing as much as I would like. There's a lot that's still going on, but it's a step. It's a recognition. Of the limitations on the federal government. Now, it's not only the federal government and the states that have their own sphere of sovereignty. Even cities have their own sphere of sovereignty. Again, within the state constitution, within the U.S. Constitution, they have their own power. Now, I bring this up for two reasons. Um, there's an interesting video I have coming out of Boston, and I want to let you listen to it in a moment, but I want you to consider this. I want you to consider the sovereignty question that uh, gets brought up with with this. Um, with th this is from uh, City Councilwoman Julia Mejia, and it's regarding a question of what to do with all the e illegal immigrants in Boston. I think everybody needs to start opening up their doors because this is a shared responsibility. Uh, why is this shared responsibility? If Boston has made herself a sanctuary city, Boston has committed herself to a path that should surprise no one when, when 
immigrants show up at, at your door. If you think they're such a great thing, then you should be welcoming them in. That's what you said when you said you'd be a sanctuary city. But now that you're hitting smack dab in the face with the consequences of that decision, now she says it's a shared responsibility. Listen to some of her logic. At um, Wellesley, Brookline, you know, cities and towns that have so much more resources um, than the city of Boston. Oh, they've got the money. Maybe they've got the money because they've been better stewards of their money. Or, or they didn't offer to house everybody that shows up, uh, whether they're here legally or not. It's a question of, in her mind, she has the sovereign the, the, the authority to say, these other cities should be taking care of the, the mess we made because they have more resources than we do. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but it's this idea that I can make a decision and expect other people to pay for the consequences of that decision, which we see each and every day in the United States. New York City asked the federal government for a bailout. This Boston councilwoman wants other cities in Massachusetts to bail Boston out. California is always looking for bailouts for their, their debts, for their crazy ideas. Are you picking up a pattern here? So when we talk about sovereign, let's break down the, the, the two main areas that I've been referring to. You have sovereign as in independent. So yes, the United States is sovereign, is independent from other nations. The United Nations keeps trying to take control of us, but no, we're sovereign. We're independent. We get to make our own decisions. Our states are sovereign in that they are independent from themselves, from each other, I should say, and they're independent from the United States, the government, the federal government. As such, they have their own powers to exercise and need to do so wisely. And to a certain extent, even a place like Boston, like our cities, have a certain sphere of sovereignty where they're not independent, completely independent, but they are independent. They're not independent from their state, but they're independent from other cities. But we keep using the term sovereign and we're acting like it means all powerful, supreme power. In that case, no, the United States is not supreme. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The Constitution can only be modified by the states, and the states run under their own constitutions, which are established by the people of, the, of those states. We've forgotten that in the United States, ultimately, it's the people that are sovereign. See, the problem is we consent to a lot of stuff that we don't like. We consent to it directly. We consent to it indirectly. But we've taken our sovereignty, our ability to decide and structure government, to determine what powers it does and doesn't have and how it can exercise them. And we've squandered it. And now we're suffering the consequences. We suffer the consequences when a, a court says that the government generally has uh, sovereign immunity and uh, cannot be sued, or when it says uh, law enforcement has sovereign immunity and cannot be sued, or when they say a president, at least some say a president, has immunity because if we didn't give him immunity, he couldn't act as a king. 
which he was never supposed to be in the first place. Sovereignty. It's a tremendous power, but it comes with tremendous responsibility, and that's one we need to pick up again. Now, I hope you'll also pick up and come back and join us here for the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard in the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen via podcast. All the episodes go to podcast generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. You can listen to your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Uh, leave ratings and reviews, especially on Apple. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But I'll tell you again, as I've told you before, knowledge is not power without action. And the sharing of this information does more than just share news and information. It shares the blessings of liberty.